We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's go to uh, Monolur here with us with a question. What do you think of Nolan Ziegler having most of his reps at Mike? Thanks for all you do and represent. I don't know that that's accurate. I, I know that there was a point. comment made yeah. there, yeah. Um, but that was based off of a couple practices. He's yeah. going to be moving around all spring. Yeah. Uh, I think it's smart to have him working at both spots to a degree now that he has a little bit firmer grasp of the defense because I could see him playing at both spots. Because right now, you know, Prince Colley's around in the fall and he's healthy and not injured. You have Marist, you have Jack Kaiser, you have Prince, you have potentially J- Jalen Steed that could all play Will. Our question we keep asking ourselves, who's the Mike? You have Jaden Osbury that could play there. I think Drake could play those spots. Who's the Mike? J.D. Bertrand and then Drake Bowen, right? Like who's a true freshman? You know, I just – I think you need to continue to enhance your, your Mike depth chart. And yeah. could Nolan play there? Sure, play there. Yeah. But I don't think he's – he might have gotten more reps there early on simply because he's already played Will and they need to give him some work at Mike. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case by the end of spring. I think he's going to play both. You have to. You you have to prepare somebody in the case that J.D. Bertrand can't go. You have to get someone prepared behind him that can not only play the position, but can also make all the plays, checks, and everything. So, like you said, Brian, we already know what he can do at will. Right. You know. Yeah. It does concern me because uh, you wonder, are they going to give him a chance to start if he's playing Mike? That's my frustration. It would be my concern if he does that the entire spring. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Let's get down here, Ryan, to um, Jeremy Welling. So what do you think about Hartman saying Buckner is smoother and more talented than he is? He's he is. Kid. He's right. <laughs> He's honest. Um, you know, look, that's there's never been a debate about who has more physical God-given ability. It's Tyler Buckner, and everyone in the room will tell you that. And I, I think Sam would probably tell you he's probably third, just raw arm talent, because it's Kenny Minchie. But there's a lot more to being a, the better quarterback mm-hmm. than that. And it's that experience that you can't discount and and fit in what they're trying to do. But no, I, I look, I, Sean, listen, man. I know that a lot of Notre Dame fans have written off Tyler Buckner because he had a bad game. I don't understand game. that. I don't, I don't get it that. either. I don't understand it. And then, oh, he's just a runner. Uh, okay. The kid is incredibly talented. And, you know, is his time going to be 2023? I don't know. I'm I'm not sure, but here's what I do know. He's very talented, and if he's ever the starting quarterback again in Notre Dame, he's going to be really good. That's what I know, and Sam sees that. And and as you know, we had in our intel piece yesterday. There's a lot of people in Notre Dame that believe that's why Sam has been so good so far, is because he's looking in the room like, okay. People told me I need to come to Notre Dame because I have a quarterback. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to be on top of my game every day if I'm gonna be the starting quarterback here. And I and I love that hear that from Sam too because number one, it's the uh, it's a comment that a leader makes because mm-hmm. he understands we're gonna need Tyler and and, yeah. and 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 I want him here and 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 that kind of thing and and he's gonna make me better. And that's what a veteran brings to the table. And so I love the comment. I mean. First of all, I hate when people ask guys about other players at their position. I can't stand that. It's just a big pet peeve of mine. Yeah. And that's the former player in me talking. Like, you want to know about that, dude? Ask him. Uh, you know, like, I'm here to talk about – you want to ask about my receivers, fine. But I'm talking about my backup quarterback. You want to know about him? Go freaking talk to him, you know? Yeah. But uh, most of these kids answer it well. I just think, you know, to turn your back on, on Tyler Butler is – just you're just lacking a little bit of perspective. It's misguided. Just a little bit. Um, thank you, Jack Swarmer. <laughs> but no, it's just a little bit. You know, you're being unfair to the young man. I think the kid was really a, a red shirt freshman. Honestly, started mm-hmm. his first game on the road against Ohio State, right. and no, did he? Play well? Absolutely not. 
But let me tell you, he didn't something. play bad in that game either, though, Sean. No, 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 no. Yeah. But let me let me tell you the most impressive thing about Tyler Buckner that pays dividends if you uh, allow him to continue to develop. I've seen kids wilt in that same situation. Mm-hmm. Ohio State disappointment against Marshall, injury, wilt, forgotten about. This is a tough-minded kid. He's a tough-minded kid. He's a type of quarterback. And you can believe us or not, his teammates love him. Yes. Because they respect him. That's another problem that came about last year, Sean, is people would rave about Drew Pine's leadership. uh And too many people took that as, well, that means Tyler's not a leader. That's not what we're saying. No. You know, and and that's what frustrates me is like you always got to give a million uh, clarifying comments or people are going to mm-hmm. take what you didn't say to mean something that you know. If I go out there and say, man, Braylon James having a great fall camp and he's doing a great job. Out, oh, so so uh, J- so Jane Greathouse isn't playing well. What? No. Mm-hmm. I, I, what, what are you talking about? It, it just it's it's a little frustrating. He's, he's, a, tough, he's a tough, resilient kid. That is getting better. Right. In football terms, he's just a sophomore, man. He has he's yeah. he's a sophomore in terms of reps and just opportunity. Right. He's missed two full seasons of his high school career from a development standpoint. Yeah. You know, right, you want to rave about what Stetson Bennett did for Georgia at the ages of 24 and 25. Right. Right. Okay. Then let Tyler Buckner get his opportunity. Tyler Buckner, who's 20, yes. by the way, and will not turn 21 until late in the season. Late in the season. FYI. Let him, let him get his opportunity. Think about that. He's in his third year of college, and he's 20 years old. Right. And people are already writing him off. Oh, he is what yeah. he is. He's 20. He won't, turn till, he won't turn 21 until, I think, after the Clemson game. Yeah. yeah. Like, you don't he's six move. years away from how old Stetson Bennett was when he won his second championship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, here we got one from Johnny S. It seems that the national football media gives Brian Kelly more of the benefit of the doubt than they used to now that he is at LSU. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. I think they always gave Brian Kelly the benefit of the doubt, which is why you constantly hear the media talk about how Notre Dame doesn't have talent. They don't have talent. Mm-hmm. They have the play. It's amazing what Brian Kelly can do with the lack of talent Notre Dame has at you know, these work with. Where'd they get that from? They got that from freaking Brian Kelly and his people. Oh man, well, great job Brian Kelly did with no talent. What a great job Brian Kelly did with blah, 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 blah. He always had talent. He freaking pissed away talent. You know what I mean? So uh, uh, oh. I always well, think Brian Kelly's gotten the benefit of the doubt. Always. It's just now it's more annoying to Notre Dame fans because it's not their team that they're defending or their coach that they're defending. That's why I've said this, Sean. The notion that Notre Dame lacks talent is not so much a national media thing as much as yeah. it's a Brian Kelly thing because he yeah. constantly talked about that yeah. on yeah. and off the record. Yeah. And especially off the record. And that's, that's not to say that the things that he said weren't true at some point. Right. 
It's not the same degree. He had obstacles that noted. Every yes. head coach is going to have obstacles that Notre Dame. Did. Nobody Absolutely. said that it wasn't harder Absolutely. at Notre Dame. It's the way you embrace right. Notre Dame and choose to portray it. Right. He chose to portray it to put him in a positive light. Like all, all he the did. The 2021 deserve, team, Sean. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to cut you off, man, but I'm so no, this pisses ahead. me off. Like how young the 2021 team was. What? The whole young? Joe, the whole Joe Clatt interview prior to Wisconsin. Oh my God! Remember that? You have a fifth-year starter at quarterback. You have a junior at running back. You have a sixth-year senior at right guard. You have a fifth-year senior at right tackle. You have yeah. a senior, a junior, a junior three-year starter at center. You were young at one, and your 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 young sophomore. Was Michael Mayer? <laughs> you were young at one spot, left tackle. That's it. Yeah, you know, and like last year, Marcus Freeman had a legit reason to say we're young. Mm-hmm. We got a young team. Notre Dame started eight true sophomores on offense in the bowl game. True sophomores. Did you ever once, ever once, hear Marcus Freeman complain about the lack of experience? or the lack of uh, uh, veteran play on his football team. Did you ever once? Nope. He actually had a legit reason to use that excuse. You never heard him use it, ever, ever. And that's the stuff that drove me nuts. And people would eat that stuff. They'd eat that stuff up, man. They'd eat it up. Oh, it's just no – like for – like I'd have been like, is this guy serious? Like I'm looking at your roster right now, and I don't see a lot of youth here, cuz. I don't know what you're talking about. But they would they would eat it up, man. They'd eat it up. Oh, Notre Dame lacks experience. They, lo- they lack speed. And I'd hear that. And Because you ever notice what teams, players constantly shock people at the combine in the last five years? I can't believe Notre Dame's player. And we were like, dude, we told you. We told you Miles Boykin was going to test off the charts. We told you yep. Chase Claypool was going to blow. We told you Kevin Austin was going to blow it up. We told you Drew Tranquil was going to do this. Yep. Because this is what we know. We see it. But yep. you guys have bought into the narrative, oh, they, they lack team speed. Sometimes they have. Sure. Sure. Sometimes they have. But you just buy this stuff, and you're just like, can you? The thing that would make it so far is you knew where it's coming from. Be one thing if the outsiders just didn't know a thing about Notre Dame's football team, like you know, like the Cooper thing. Like, I didn't bother me. It was a terrible take, but it didn't bother me. I don't think it was personal. It was more of, it was more of, you had a coach that would talk your team down. It's lowering the bar, and he's already doing it to LSU. You're already hearing LSU fans justify four losses last year. Well, it was this, it was that, it was this other thing. And that's exactly what's going to happen under Brian. He, he will constantly talk down the expectations, expectations to where he can then justify <clears throat> what his record has been. Yeah. And then if you ever point anything out like, well, you did kind of go five and five against ranked teams the last three years. You you beat up on a bunch of unranked teams. Then, you know, you get your credentials revoked and, you know, try to blacklist, you know, all this other kind of stuff. You know, I'm being hyperbolic there, but. That's the thing is, and then Notre Dame fans would lose their minds. Oh, you're a hater. You're anti-Notre Dame. You're anti-admin. No, I'm the most Notre Dame defender ever because I'm saying the standards should be higher. They should be doing more to help the football team. They should be demanding more. They should be doing this. They should be doing this. But I'm not going to talk it down and accept the lower standard because it's hard. It's hard. Yes, it's hard. Did you not know that when you took the job? If you did, then you're an idiot. Of course it's hard. Stop making yeah. excuses. Stop talking down the standard. Embrace a standard. Marcus Freeman had a million excuses he could have he could have used last year. And no, Brian Kelly never took away my credentials. I said I was being hyperbolic. Right? Um, 
But my point is, is Marcus Freeman had a lot of legitimate, hey, look, we lost our two veteran receivers before the season even started, basically. We lost our starting quarterback in the second game of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, we start true two sophomore, true two true sophomores at offensive tackle. We have five receivers. They're all young. We had to play Matt Salerno against Ohio State. You know, he he could have gone through a million reasons to excuse last year's performance. He never did it once, not once. Yeah. But Brian Kelly would constantly make excuses for the things that he did. And the reason they have to say, oh, no name to do this, no name to do that. And that's what pissed me off so much about it, right? No, that's no one else's fault that you called a jet sweep to Chris Brown inside the five-yard line the first time he'd ever carried the football against Northwestern. It's nobody else's fault that you decided to go for two when you were already up 11. Like, that was the dumbest decision I've ever seen. It was nobody else. It was not, it's not Jack Swarbrick's fault that you called a rollout go route with Tommy Reese as a true freshman who had just come off the bench right before halftime to replace an injured Dane, Dane Chris when you're already in field goal range. That's not a well. Our admissions here. Here's why we made that. Our admissions process is really tough, and we don't really have a chef here, and we don't get this support. So I decided to make this play call. Right? No, that's on you. Well, it's not my fault that I kept Brian Van Gorder. We can't afford to pay coaches. You paid the dude a million dollars. You could have got any. You could have got any defensive coordinator you wanted, basically. So don't don't talk to me about that. And when that came out, there's a lot of Notre Dame coaches on that staff that were pissed. When they heard that, because they're like, I'm not making that kind of money. I don't know right. why that guy's making that kind of money. And and so that's not on anybody else. That's on you. And that's the stuff that pisses me off. And that's something that so far Marcus Freeman hasn't done. And I respect that about him. And I hope he continues to be that way. I really do. Yeah. I really do. He's good enough to occasionally win a game. He'll beat the teams he's supposed to beat. Yeah. But then he'll find a way. Like people talk about, oh, that was a tremendous comeback. They almost came back and beat Florida State. Why yeah. were you being outplayed so thoroughly for three quarters? Right. By like, forget, lost to Jacksonville this week. Forget the ending. Why were you being out thoroughly outplayed? Why were you being why did you get thrashed by Texas AM, who had nothing yeah. to play for at the end of the year? Just how how do you get thrashed like that? Thrash, Sean. Thrash. How do you go to Arkansas who was decimated? Had no quarterback, offensively couldn't do anything, and then go down to the final minute where you have to have your freshman All-American come up with a play right. to seal the win. Right. That's right. He, dude, that's who he is. That's mm-hmm. who he is. He'll and he's going to find a way to magnify that to make it seem like he did such an incredible yep. job. Yep. No, no, we didn't have any talent. It's Louisiana LSU. What are you talking about? <laughs> My favorite part, and I'm and with all due respect to, to Frank McCatcher, who's our, our LSU fan in the chat. We love you, Frank. But he, the, the funny thing is so many of these national LSU people just self-own themselves, right? Like they'll, they'll get mad at me for saying LSU was a dumpster fire and then right. justify the job Brian Kelly did in the four losses. Saying, I'm not saying the same thing. Walked into, they only had 30-some scholarship. So it was kind of a dumpster fire, right? Yeah. Right. Oh, wait. Right. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it's like. Well, he'll do well recruiting. Well, based on what? Well, you don't have to recruit very hard to, to recruit at LSU. Uh, okay. And then he he resigns a top five class. Like, well, look how good of a job he's doing. I'm like, you guys just told me this whole year that it doesn't take – it's not very hard to recruit to LSU. And now yeah, LSU. you're yeah. trying to say that that's some kind of own. Like, you guys self-own yourselves all the time. Yeah. But that's what Brian Kelly does. He puts you into that 
into that corner where you kind of have to do that. And, you know, and the thing that frustrates me, Sean, is it takes away from the fact that he is a really good coach when he wants to be. When he's willing to stop making excuses and go put in the work, there's a reason Brian Kelly got to Notre Dame in the first place because he's a very good football coach. He just kind of got into this. He's got this thing where he just cannot accept responsibility when things don't go right. So it's all Sam Mustafer's fault that we called a shotgun snap for four quarters in the middle of a freaking hurricane, literal hurricane. That's Sam Mustafer's fault. Well, okay, whatever, dude. You know, it's eh, ridiculous. Anyway. Oh, goodness gracious. All right, here we go. Andrew Sakalowski. What are the physical traits you look for in a Viper versus Big N? And how does their game playing or technique differ? Well, the biggest technical difference, Sean, is one's in a three-point stance and one's in a two-point stance. The Viper's almost always in a two-point stance in the base defense. The Viper has a lot more responsibilities, a lot more different type of responsibilities. They both have a lot of responsibilities, but a Viper's got to drop into coverage at times. You saw Isaiah Foskey last year running on a wheel route against Syracuse, running with Sean Tucker on a wheel route. You're not going to see the big end do that. Well, Brian McGorder did that once against Arizona State on a wheel route uh, after they had just cut the lead to three. But good coaches don't do that. The Viper, they both have to set the edge in the run game. Yeah, Uh, They both have to be good pass rushers, but you definitely need more of a a quick twitch edge rusher at the Viper position. The the big end has to be a little bit more physical at the point of attack. He's going to face a lot more double teams. The Viper rarely has someone outside of him on offense other than a receiver. The Viper oftentimes will line up with a tight end on his outside, so he's got to be able to beat double teams. There's got to be really good block destruction from both, but even more so from the big end. The big end needs a little bit more butt, Sean, to be able to kind of play that power yeah. football. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't have to be 290. You know, Adi Tagumba Ogandiji was 260, right? Khalid Kareem was 260. Like 260 you know, they, yeah, they yeah. were they were very physical. I mean, Khalid was one of the best edge setters that in college football his last year. I mean, just he was really good at that. Yeah. And uh you know, so so it, it that, those are the differences for me. Uh the Viper, they both you both want them you want length from both of them. Yeah. You'd like to have both of them. Uh, the The Viper could be a linebacker type, a Josh Burnham Jr. to Alamaka type, you know, yeah. that kind of guy, Jordan Patejo type. It doesn't have to be an Isaiah Foskey, but you ideally want some length at both of those positions. Let me, let me ask you a question. Would you rather have versatile interior guys or versatile ends? Say that I'd never rather oh. have versatile ends. Okay, so that's why, the yeah. reason why I asked because I'm thinking about, of course, our guy that's about to be drafted in the NFL that was at Alabama. Uh, he literally, depending upon the situation, played all four positions on the on the defensive line. Will Anderson did. Uh, he he played Viper in certain situations when he first came up, and then he played Big In in certain situations. And you know he's right in that two sixty five two seventy range. To whereas you he was able to do both. That's why I asked the question because I was thinking about Sheldon Day. Certain situations they would put Big Sheldon on the outside yeah. and like a five technique, and like yeah. a five technique, and let him come. That was the guy I was thinking about. That was on the inside, and then you know certain situations you can bounce him out. Riley Nose, be that guy now. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. Jason Onye could maybe be yeah. that guy. Tyson yeah. Ford. You'd like to have guys like that for sure. Yeah. yeah. I just think having a, a, an end. Well, I'll say this: I'd rather have a versatile Viper. Mm-hmm. And a versatile three technique. That's my order. Okay. 
Okay. I don't necessarily need a vibe a, a versatile big end. Okay. So it's it's two it's two different answers, right? Yeah, so yeah. when when I think of versatile, like to be to be able to have a viper that can drop in coverage, can stack if you want to go three three. Yeah. You know, to your point, you're, you're going to need one of your, your three techniques going to have to come out and play a you know, four I or a five, right? Right. And then your viper is going to have to stack. Your big end's not really being impacted there in that situation. He's still similar to what he's always doing. Right. So it's viper needs to be number one most versatile guy. Your interior guy, your 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 three technique, and then also at times your three techniques to be able to slide inside and play in an A gap, yeah, as well. So, I'd say Viper one, yeah. your your three technique, two, in regard to the prior priority order of being versatile. So I can't. Oh. So it's harder to answer that outside or inside because I view them a little differently. I don't need a lot of versatility for my nose. He can play right. shade, or he can play a three or yeah. two eye. It's yeah. not not a lot different to me. Yep. Let's get to some more questions here, fellas. Let's go to Archer four five two. I'll read this one, Sean, because I know I'm not. I know my answer to this, and it's a no. <laughs> so I'll let you get shot. There. Are you watching WrestleMania this weekend? If so, what do you think will be the match of the weekend? Give me Paul versus Rollins. I don't have a clue who those people are. With the IC Triple Threat as my second choice. No, so I do not watch wrestling. Uh, my brother, my younger brother, is man the biggest wrestling fan in the world. And he gave me a call last night at about 8.30 telling me about the lineup. So I love the women's division right now in WWE. And I like some of the lineup that they have. But the Paul versus Rollins is the Seth Rollins storyline and everything going into that match is very interesting. So I, I would rock with Archer on that one. I would rock with Archer on that one. But I think it's always the undercard that ends up being a little bit more under entertaining mm-hmm. at wrestlemania i'm trying to think the undercard of wrestlemania entertains me more than the main event at least i would say 50 percent of the time and i might be lowballing it like because true wrestling fans will say yeah i get more entertainment from some of the the undercard than yeah. i get in the big time match because the big time match is something normally that Unless you get a matchup like when we had Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan or something like that, or Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold versus even those Andre the, the Giant Hogan fights, I thought were boring because they're well, they, neither yeah. of them were like Andre by that point in time. His Andre back was physically shot. couldn't go longer than five minutes. He yeah. couldn't physically do it, so he would yeah. just let he would let, let yeah. Hogan carry him for a little bit, and then he'd yeah. get pissed and like do some big but slaps. It, it was it was needed to really put Hulk yeah. over. And Correct. Make him that superstar. Correct. And Andre was that guy. Hawk was yeah. never that guy from what you hear. But, yeah. you know, the, the era where I felt the main events were the, were always the best fights was kind of in that three, four-year window of the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. When you had Stone Cold, The Rock, yeah. DX, Undertaker, Kane. There were so many great storylines. And yeah. and most of those guys were good wrestlers. Yeah. You know, really good. Re- I mean, Stone Cold, I mean, nobody took a stunner like The Rock. He would sell the heck out of the stunner you flopping yeah. around like a fish on you know yeah. out of water yeah uh, those were some out. super entertaining matches like i i was bored when like three o'clock in the morning I couldn't sleep and i was watching that remember the one where mike tyson was the the guest guy the referee or whatever yeah Th- man those were those were that was a great match and and the way it ended was entertaining but like it was a yeah. great match and that's where the that's where dub see i was always a wc dub i was wwf as a really little kid Wow. And I became a teenager as more WCW because I thought the WWF got lame with all their weird gimmicks, you know, like it was 
And and but then when the NWA came, a lot of NWO came. Excuse me, a little bit different. When the NWO came, I, it just at first it was really entertaining. But then I was like, okay, you know, every match is going to end with them inter- interfering, and they're going to be a eighty-seven NWO guys beating up that one guy, and the fans are going to be throwing stuff. And just it just was like, eh, pff, you know. Yeah. And then that's when the attitude era really took off in in, in WWE. Yeah. yeah, and that's when it's like, okay, that was that was a great era, a yeah. great era with the, some great heavy, like some great main events. At I mean, SummerSlam had great main events. Mm-hmm. The Royal Rumbles were a lot better, um, and then WrestleMania was really good. And yeah. after the Attitude Era is when I kind of stopped watching wrestling. Yeah, yeah like I, I didn't hate it. It's just, it just I had better things to do with my time. Like someone said in the chat, the Hogan Ultimate Warrior main event was fantastic. Like yeah. every now and again, you'll get those fantastic main events, but WrestleMania just in totality is that undercard is usually like yeah. the things you remember the most. Yeah. And what was I would the, what say was the this: the, the era you talked about. What made that so great is because you had WCW on the other side as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those mon- those Monday Night Wars, man, that was that was but forget who was winning in the ratings. The wrestling fans won. Yeah, every Monday night, like we won. Like who cares about the Eric re- Bischoff tells a a great story, like because at that point in time, I think WCW was beating WWE and. Even though they were winning the ratings, WWE was winning from a revenue standpoint somehow, yeah. some way, and he gets called to a meeting at Turner Sports, and they're begging him to like emulate WWE narratives and storylines. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, we're winning doing what we do. Right. You know, right. he's like, he said when he left the room, he knew that was the beginning of the end. Right. And that eventually Vince was going to win out. So, yeah, man. So Hulk and Andre was WrestleMania three. Do you remember what the best yeah. match of WrestleMania three was? And it was not even close. One of the best WrestleMania matches ever. Macho versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Do you remember that match? I'm trying to remember how it went. That was one of the. It was like a really long match. It was one of the greatest matches I've ever I seen. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Ricky the Dragon Steamboat beat him. Uh, they had some great matchups, man. Some great matches. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like even Andre, and that was the main event. That wasn't the best match. And that's exactly what I mean. Like usually the best match is on the undercard. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's get to some more. I still still love about Mailbag Friday because we always get some like non football questions that are really entertaining. You know, so here's a three part question from Jesse Ferguson. Which current Notre Dame wide receiver, freshman included, has the highest upside in your opinion? Who was most underrated by the fan base? And where does Caleb Smith, the elder, fit from a talent perspective? It's a good questions in there, Jesse. Uh, he's not on the has, Walker. Yeah. Who has the highest upside to me? It's a it's between Tobias Merriweather and Braylon James. Mm-hmm. And they're different. Their upsides are different. Yeah. Braylon brings more true home run potential. Like, you know, I could see Braylon being like a Will Fuller type. And Tobias is the better all-around guy. Great yeah. route runner, you know, can stretch the field. You know, to if I'm if I'm trying to think of who I kind of well, I've I've compared Tobias in the past to T. Higgins. And yeah. and that to me is who they are. Braylon James, if he reaches his full potential, is Justin Ross, who is a thousand yard guy on 50 catches. Where if Braylon hits his full potential, he's T. Higgins. 
he, yeah. he'll have also a thousand yards, but he'll have it on 75 catches. Yeah. Right. And so that's a similar, like that's if they both reach their peak, who I see them being, they're that mm-hmm. kind of player in yeah. my opinion. So those are my two highest upside guys, including the freshman on the, the receiver roster, Sean. So first part to that, that's my first answer. What, what would you say to that first part of the question? I would agree. It's, for me, is Braylon and Tobias as far as upside. Uh, underrated by the fan base. And I honestly, man, this is just me personally. I, I, I'll go Lorenzo Styles, Jr. Okay. And I understand the vitriol. And I look, coming into last season and even in this season, you tell me who has proven it, proven that they could be a number one on a given day other than him. In that Going into last season, season, he was the only one. He was Going the into this one. season, Jaden Thomas is. Jaden Thomas has proven yeah. it as well. So that's what I'm saying. Like, we're talking about two guys that have, that have actual film that, yeah, right. we can do it. So for Lorenzo, for me, it's all about his mind. Like, if his mind is right, he physically can do it because he's done it. You know, he's really been healthy. Um, I don't know of any injuries he, he dealt with last year. He's been, for the most part, no, Lorenzo's Lorenzo up here. Yeah, Lorenzo's Lorenzo been here. healthy. So. I, I think and, Lorenzo has the tools to be very good. I just don't think he has the highest ceiling. Yeah. That's my only yeah. thing. That's why, to me, I right. think he's underrated because I think people have kind of just cast him to the side right. because all of the freshmen and, you know, Lorenzo Styles can make some really big plays. Jaden Thomas is the guy for me, Sean, underrated-wise. I still don't think people appreciate Jaden Thomas. And part of it's because of he's not real fast, but how bad he looked in the first couple games last year. I mean, mean, he – You were so upset at the end of that Marshall game. Oh, he he was bad. (laughs) He he didn't deserve to play after that is the way I looked at it. I mean, he I wouldn't have played him the next week, you know, unless he just was like, hey, coach, I screwed up. That's on me. But by the end of the year, he was their best receiver. And you got props to the kid for that, man, because he could have – he could have quit. I mean, he could have gotten his head and felt got all his feelings and yeah. you know, people are ripping me and they're getting on me and all this. And he just kept working, man. And you yeah. need to have that kind of, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm, you know, I don't care if I had a bad game, meaning yeah. I'm not going to doubt myself. I'm going to work hard, make sure I don't do it again. And that's yeah. what Jaden did. Yeah. And, um, you know, to me, I, I, I think he's still, still very underrated. And I think the most, the next most underrated guy is he's not there yet because he's not on campus, but it'll end up being this the younger Caleb Smith. Because I still don't think fans appreciate how good that kid is. He's going to be really, really good. Yeah, really, that's really a, good. That's a, he's a sleeper, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden he pops on the field, and you're like, oh, I forgot yeah. about him. The older Caleb Smith, where does he fit in from a talent perspective? He's not going to play this year because he's the most talented guy. I'll just say that. He's going to play this year because he's savvy, he's skilled, he knows how to play, he works. But, I mean, he's he's bottom two or three from a pure talent standpoint. Him and Jaden Thomas are both near the bottom from just a pure God-given, you know, speed, explosiveness, all that. They're just really good receivers. They're yeah. just really good football players. But so if we're just talking talent, they're near him and Jaden Thomas of the scholarship players – I'd say Jaden Thomas and 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 uh, Caleb Smith are probably at the bottom of the list and just pure talent. Yeah, but that's what I love about that's what I loved about coaching receivers, Sean, because you didn't have to be an elite athlete to be an elite receiver. No, no, you have to no. be a really good athlete to be a great corner. I mean, no. you, you 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 just have to. Yeah. And 
you know, like, have you ever seen the study on corners in recent years that ran four, six or slower in the combine? Like they just can't play in the NFL. Just, they just, you can be, there's four, six guys that are catching a hundred balls a year in the NFL. Yeah. You know, borderline four, six or four, six. I mean, Cooper cup was in the four fives, Devontae Adams, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas from Ohio State, they were all like high, mid to high four or five guys that are just killing in the NFL. You get that kind of speed at cornerback like Julian Love, and they move you to safety. You know, you can't because you can't play corner at that speed. No. And that's what I love about receivers. You got to be skilled. Like, like, for example, Justin Jefferson. Yes, he's a very good athlete, but Justin Jefferson is not what he is because he's a great athlete. He's what he is because, yes, he's a great athlete, but he's incredibly skilled. Devontae Adams is not what he is because he's an elite athlete. He's a very good athlete, not elite, but he's incredibly skilled. Cooper Cup's a very is a very underrated athlete for obvious yeah. reasons, but he's incredibly skilled. He's not yeah. who he is because of his athleticism alone. It's because he's Correct. incredibly skilled. Right. Uh, Jerry Rice, incredibly skilled. Right. Jerry Rice never had Alvin Harper's God-given physical tools. Right. Michael Irvin didn't have Alvin Harper's God-given tools. But he was a way better receiver because he was skilled. And that's one of my favorite things about, about coaching was one of my favorite things about coaching receivers is you could get a guy that maybe wasn't an elite athlete that could be a really good receiver if he took his craft really seriously. Yeah. That's that's how that's what I how I that do. for me is the amazing thing about the comments Sam Hartman made and the comments that Caleb Smith made when they both met with the media as transfers. Mm-hmm. So Caleb Smith was like, yo. Huh. Tobias Merriweather. All right. All right. He said that and, on your show, right? Sean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then Sam Hartman, like, yo, Tyler is like, so this, this whole thing that Notre Dame doesn't have talent. Look, look. <laughs> don't take it from us. Right. Listen to the players that are coming from other places that have seen the talent at their places and are walking in saying, yo, he's different. Right. Yeah, we shall see. Cuba Puig also says um, uh, Rico Flores will be the best underneath receiver. Book it. Okay. I, maybe. I could see it. Uh, I could also see Caleb Smith being that because a lot of what Caleb Smith is going to do is crossers and stuff like that. I I think where I could say is I could see Rico making that case for the best intermediate guy. You know what I mean? But underneath guys usually to me are those guys who are doing a lot more of the the crossers, the speed yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's that intermediate zone that I could see that at. But, hey, look, but that's what's so good about this, right? Or, Sean, is, is we could debate this stuff. There's not a – there's not a. I think it's Tobias and Braylon. You make yeah. the case for Lorenzo. Other people are going to make the case for Deion Colsey. Uh, some people are going to make the case for Rico. Some people are going to make – and, you know, who's the best route runner? Ryan and I have argued – argued, debated this. Uh, Rico or Jaden Greathouse. You know, Tobias Merriweather's under – you know, and that's where you want to be is you want to have – some debate about who the best guy is and who's the best at this and who's the best at that. Because that means more often than not, you're going to be in a situation where you've got multiple guys with the potential to be that. And that's, that's ultimately, that's ultimately where you want it to be. That's ultimately where you want it to be. Uh, USMA asks last year's spring game was a draft. How would you prefer they determine lineups for the game? I personally, and this is the coach and me talking, I would prefer that they just, they would say, okay, we're going to put certain units together. I want this line working together. I want this receiver group working together. I want this running back, you know, well, not running back as much. 
I want this linebacker tandem working together. I want to see this. And, and I would pair it up like that, try to get it as even as possible, but I would, and if you wanted to do a draft, I said this yesterday, I would, I would put, I would put those groups together and then let the quarterbacks draft their teams or something like that, or, or whatever. I would say, you know, um, Hey, this is the group of all you can choose this offensive line group or that offensive line group. You can choose this receiver group or that receiver group. And I'd go about it that way. Uh, I just, cause I feel like that gives you the best chance to, to get the game work, the game action that you need with those groups. If you know that that's just me, but that's the coach in me. I, I, I get why you're doing it for the players. It's for the players. Why you have the draft. Uh, I also don't love the draft because then you start getting like, you know, the guys that get picked late. I've never liked that for that reason. Like, you know, the last kid picked on the playground kind of thing. So um, those are the things that I, that I look at it for that one, Sean. All right, here we got a question here, Sean, that I, I passed this question because I knew you'd want to help answer this question. It's from Gavin Harden. If you have to pick a running back to build a team around today between Dickerson, Barry Sanders, LT and Marshall Falk, who are you taking? For a second, there, I was like, "Why are you asking me about Lawrence Taylor?" No, uh, and then Danny I remember Thompson. Danny Thompson. Uh, for me personally, the best back of that group is Barry Sanders. I mean, it, there's there's no doubt. But for the type of offense that I run, it'd be Marshall Falk because I really like to throw the ball to the running back down the field. I really like to be able to do that. And that was Barry was a guy that could do stuff in the screen game, but he wasn't a guy you were throwing really a ton of stuff down the field too. So just for my particular – because because here's the deal, Sean. If I'm running a team, I'll take any one of those guys. They're all <laughs> Hall of Famers. Right. So you're splitting hairs, so then you get into, well, this is the system that I run. Now, if Barry Sanders is my running back, would I tailor my system to him? You bet your darn booty I would. But I'm saying, but with Marshall, I don't have to. No. And then next after him would be LT mm-hmm. because I don't have to tailor my system to fit what he does. He That's what he brings to the table. Dickerson and Barry Sanders are more pure runners for me. And so that's why I would go with Marshall one LT two, but then also say, if we're taking out who I would pick to pick, run my team, who's the best back my life, Barry Sanders, the best running back I've ever seen. I was a little too young to, to truly, cause I saw Walter Payton play when he was older and he was still good, but I didn't see mm. the seventies version of Walter Payton, you know? So, uh, man, so you of missed, what I have seen, the treat, you missed uh, the treat. <laughs> And I've seen you see highlights and all that, but as far but it's like I've seen highlights of Jim Brown. I can't stack Jim Brown up against these other backs because I never saw him play. Mm-hmm. Of the backs that I have seen, Barry Sanders is the best running back I've ever seen, and it's not really debatable for me. Yeah. Just for me. But picking a team to run my system, it's it'd be Marshall Falk. I would think that <clears throat> going back to what I said, loving to be able to dictate to the defense, it would have to be between LT and Marshall Falk. Yeah. And I probably would leave lean more to Marshall Falk, even though LT was incredible out of the backfield as well. I don't think he was the type as effective, like splitting him out in the slot or splitting him out and running routes. He wasn't as proficient in route running as Marshall Falk. So even though he catched the ball, Marshall Falk all around. For today's game, yeah, I would probably go with him. Got a super chat down here from Trevor Rocket. Thank you, Trevor. Greetings from Drayton, Ontario, Canada. Lads, just wanted to thank all of you guys involved in this podcast. It's greatly appreciated. Keep up the great work and respect to the IB crew and nation. Appreciate that, Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. Very, 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 very much. I have a basketball question down here from uh, AJ, Irish AJ Sean. Let me read this one because you're more of the basketball guy. 
The Golden State Warriors used to have a death lineup in 2006. Death lineup in 2016. What is the was that the Kate? Was that one of the KD teams? No. Was he there in 16? So that was pre-KD. Okay. Pre-KD. What is the collection of skill players you'd try to get on the field at the same time to have Notre Dame version of that? I mean, there isn't one. I mean, Steph Curry is one of the best to ever do what he does. I mean, probably the best three-point shooter ever, would you say, Sean? Volume plus accuracy. I, I understand what he's saying. I would probably say because you're basically talking about speed and height mixture, even though their death lineup was small because Draymond was playing the center mm-hmm. position. Um, probably just from the standpoint of getting your best, most most explosive players on the field uh, would be Tyree on the field somehow, some way <clears throat> with uh let's say Dion on the outside and Dion on the outside yeah and that's a more dynamic version of what you had in 2018 yeah with a much better quarterback yeah I mean yeah. right you had but miles and chase outside and Chris Fink in the slot now this might you know some people might not understand what I'm saying in order for it to be the death lineup you would have to have Tyler on the field at quarterback rather than Sam Hartman I don't because because of his, case. No, 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 because see that lineup was all about being able to beat you so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Like they were great defensively, but then they could come down, they could drive, they could drive and kick, they can get points in the paint, they could kill you from three. I think that offense, you're more explosive. You're explosive in the passing game and more explosive in the running so, game. So you're looking Tyler's at it from the standpoint the of since Curry could create on his own. Yeah, you know, or school be okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's just a matter of just adding another in dimension. 20, in 23, I still say it's it's Hartman because he can get the ball where it needs to get to accurately, you know, more accurately. But I'm good if if Tyler Buckner ends up being the quarterback this year. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. That's an interesting conversation. Interesting conversation. All right, let's get to some more, Sean. We have some a lot of great questions here. Want to get to a, a few more before we have to get out of here. Um, we got to that one. Let's see here. Let me get to a, f- a few more. Here we go. All right, here we go. Here's one from We Are Not Marshall. This is a good one. <laughs> this is the first time, Brian Sean, this is the first time, regardless of who the quarterback is headed into the season, that I am not afraid of having to play from behind because of the explosiveness that this group presents. I, I think it is a very this this is my feeling. <laughs> and I, I want to get your because I, I messed with uh Malik the other day on this. Um it is one of the most comfortable situations to walk in offensively um for any quarterback. Like if you sat back and let's say you put let's say you had the offensive players at North Carolina, the offensive players at USC, and the offensive players at Notre Dame. Who do you think those quarterbacks would choose to play behind and with? Who the who the Notre Dame quarterbacks would want to play behind? No, no, of all the quarterbacks, just had with no allegiance, they were just looking at the offensive talent, line, running backs, wide receivers. 
Like I know who I'd want to play behind. I, I think that there some people might pick USC from a perception standpoint. Perception standpoint. But I'm not trading Notre Dame's kids. This is what I'm look. You can call me a homer, bias, whatever you want. But if you're the teams that you mentioned, I'm not trade the only the only team that I would consider trading my offensive skill talent for is Ohio State. That's it. And that's, that's it. probably their offensive line just lost. That's why I said very tackle. clearly. Right, skilled players. Yeah, the only group the wide receivers and the maybe group. the running backs. Because yeah, the running backs for me, if they're healthy, yeah. that's one of the two or three best running back rooms in college football. If yeah. they're healthy, if they're healthy, and and um, you know they're 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 receiving cores loaded. Cade Stover's a good, he's a good complimentary player at tight end. Yeah, uh, that's the only one. But Notre Dame's offensive line by a mile over Ohio State's. Yeah, and yeah. and so. But like USC skill, USC skill talent is a little overrated for me. It's good. It won't be as good this year as it was last year. With all due respect to the kid from Arizona, well, it's not as good really, as Jordan they're, they're really young. They're really they're, they're, young. Yes. And it's their good. offensive line is is not going to be that. It, it was, was not it was there. Okay last year because yeah. it was very veteran. It's not going to be as good this year. They won 11 games because of two words, Caleb Williams. Right. I mean, from a player standpoint, I mean, yeah. Caleb Williams put that team on his shoulders. If you go yeah. back and really study the Notre Dame game, even with some of the dumb play calling and scheme stuff that they made, they needed times where Caleb just did stupid stuff that nobody else can do to yeah. win that game. I mean, just game. flat out. Now it's with Notre Dame not playing a good, a good game plan. And so to me, you know, you're there, but to, to his point, Sean, this is absolutely, it, but it's not about the quarterback. no, Right. And that's the point he's making is, but the quarterback is needed. Yeah. Because what I would say is, I get the question's not about the quarterback. I, am I reading this correctly? It's no. regardless of who the quarterback is. Yeah. So that can be taken two ways. One is the skill town around him is great. Or mm-hmm. the other way to take it is because I have faith in multiple quarterbacks. And both quarterbacks. Yes. Now, based on his anti Tyler Buckner history, <clears throat> I think we're talking about the skill players. And, and that would be my guess. But from either perspective, I think it's true that you've got multiple quarterbacks and go win your games, but the skill talent and the line play and everything that's around them. Yeah. You can fall behind 14, nothing and you'll be all right. Perfect example. You remember what the score was early in the second quarter of the 2016 national title game was Alabama 14 Clemson, nothing. Mm -hmm. And kept Clemson, but Clemson didn't get out of their game plan because they knew, Hey, we're good. Right, and then they come back. Deion Clint Kane catches a screen pass. Yeah, makes dudes miss, runs fifty yards, and they end up going. And now it's fourteen seven ball game. They were fine. Hey, we're good. We're, we're good. good. They had the quarterback, but then they had the skill. They had Mike Williams. They had Artavis Scott. They had Deion Kane. They had Wayne Gallman. They, they had Jordan Leggett at tight end. They were good. We're fine. Don't panic. And to his point, that's I agree with that too. You you, you got behind USC last year. You started to panic a little bit because you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know if we can win a shootout in this game. Yeah. I don't want to have to play a lot of shootouts, but I have a lot more faith that Notre Dame can win one now than I did ever, like since 2015. Yeah. The most confident I've had Notre Dame's ability to win a shootout since 2015. Yeah. So, uh, no doubt. No doubt. Because you feel confident. You know, last year you knew you, we had to be able to run the ball. Mm-hmm. We had to be able to run the ball. This year, heck, we want to go three, four wide and just light your tail up. We can do that. Right. Give us four plays. We can be down the field in the end zone. And you yep. have that confidence right now. But I, that's why, you know, put it out there. I just think Notre Dame has one of the most explosive skill groups and best offensive lines in the country. So yeah. 
Heck, you're right. You put a, a, a good quarterback behind this Notre Dame offense with the skilled players, yeah, you're going to do some damage. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know who else this helps a ton, Sean, that, that that we're not talking enough about? It is really comforting for a defense Oh, when man. you have that kind of – hey, guys, we struggled early. We're, we're Our offense is going to get us back in this game. Just chill out. Let's go out and execute and get a stop this next series, and that's all we got to control. We don't got to go steal the ball. We don't got to make a play. Look, just make stops, and our offense is going to do what they need to do. Yeah. When you know your march for errors as small as it was in past seasons, it was a it was a problem. You it know Notre Dame defenses have been on the sideline talking to each other like, hey man, look, yep. if we give up more than 20, we're in we trouble. More, we're in trouble. Yeah. We might lose this game. So it's you darn right, it changes the mindset. It changes the whole uh therm the whole thermostat for the team. Mm-hmm changes when you have an explosive offense it, it just you know you don't i think it did that for we thought ohio state's defense was pretty good when we came out of the notre dame game right and then we started to watch them against penn state and we're like oh penn state found a little something right and then we saw them against michigan and we we're like oh okay right like they weren't as dominant as maybe we thought and that is you know, because they faced offenses that had good quarterback play because you said, you know, you hung in, hung in with them a little bit more than I did, the quarterback at Penn State. I thought he had a pretty decent season last year. I was, Sean Clifford or Sean Clifford. Yeah. Sean Clifford. I I was out on him before the season started. And he actually had a – He can win you some season. games. He's yeah. just not going to – he's not going to beat Michigan. He's not going to beat Ohio State. No. But he's going to beat Purdue. He's going to do yeah. what he needs to do in the fourth quarter to beat Purdue. And, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think, man, you now Notre Dame is right in line with J.J. McCarthy. They have a J.J. McCarthy type quarterback that can impact the game. And I think he's a better pass. He's not a better athlete and, you know, player, you know, playmaker per se at the quarterback position. But the quarterback position is told. I'll tell you one thing. Look, I, I dare Ohio State to only score seven points through three quarters this year. I, I dare right. you. They won't be in the game. I dare they, they won't be in the game. And it won't happen. I mean, they'll they'll have more than – what do they have, seven? It was a seven. Yeah, because you had that early touchdown. No, they scored. Yeah. I take that back. They scored at the – was it – did they score at the end of the third? They, take they, the took, the, they took the lead into the third quarter. Okay. They took a 14 to 10 lead in early in the third quarter. Okay. It was 10 7 for most of the game. I'll tell you what, I dare Ohio State to have seven at halftime. Oh, How yeah. about that? Yeah. Go yeah. to halftime with seven points. Yeah. Let's see what happens this year. Yeah. Let's get to some more. This is an interesting one, Sean. I saw this list yesterday. I just kind of had to shake my head. Here's here's a question from Archer. <laughs> PFF, 
ranked the top defense. I saw this. I did see this. And the OC list. Top 10 defensive coordinators as follows. Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Penn State, LSU, Minnesota, North Carolina State, Ole Miss, Cincy. What do you agree with and who would you change? Okay, so first of all, there's no way I'm putting a guy who's been a coordinator for a year (laughs) in my top 10, much less a number two. With all due respect to Jesse Minter, all he did was do exactly what the guy before him did. That's it. Right? I mean, now he may end up being that guy, but he was there one. That's like the Oregon State guy did a great job last year. I'm not putting him in there because he did it for one year. Matt House from LSU, based on what? Did you watch LSU's defense last year? You watched the like, SEC championship game? <laughs> I mean, uh, let's pick a game. Did you watch Jordan Travis rip them up? Did you watch oh, the man. Tennessee rip them up? Did you watch Texas A&M rip, rip them up? Did you watch Bama go for 31 on them, Florida go for 35 on them? Are you kidding me? Like, what are you basing that on? It doesn't make any sense. And now, could do I think he'll have a shot to be in there this year? Yeah, I think Matt House, will, they'll get better as they learn his system more, and they'll, they'll do a good job, and it was good. But you're going to put him in the top 10 right now, like in, in borderline top five, based on what? Now, here's who – here's who Phil Parker – I was glad to see Phil Parker number one. Mm-hmm. Phil Parker is without question one of the best defensive coordinators. One of the best. And a very underrated guy. You want to put Jim Knowles in there for his body of work? That's fine. He'd be more towards the bottom of my list, though. Uh, the Georgia tandem of Muschamp and Glenn Schulman des- deserves to be in that conversation. Manny Diaz, I'm fine with. My initial reaction will say no because he was such a bad head coach. But Manny's a, <laughs> it, it, he's been a good he decoder. He's a good at Miami. Mm-hmm. He he was a good he did a good job at Penn State last year. So I'm fine with him being in there. Uh, Joe Rossi at Minnesota absolutely belongs in there. NC yeah. State uh, Tony Gibson absolutely belongs in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Pete Golding has no business being in this conversation at number nine. Are you freaking kidding me? Pete Golding doesn't belong in the top 50 of defensive coordinators. Are you kidding me with that? Are you absolutely kidding me with that? And then with all due respect to Brian Brown, what in the world is he doing on this list? They gave up 19 points a game last year against a crap schedule at Louisville. This is the same guy that two years ago, they were given up a year ago in 21, two years ago, meaning from 23, 21, they gave up 27 points a game, gave up 26 points a game in 2019 and gave up 33 points a game in 2019. What is he doing on this list? Cause he's the new DC at Cincinnati. What in the world are those two guys doing on this list? And how are you not going to have Morgan Scally on this list from Utah? How are you not going to have him on this list? How are you not going to have John Heacock from Iowa state on this list? Like Iowa State was terrible last year, but they were losing games like 10 to 9, 14 to 7. Like they had a really good defense last year. And here's another guy that belongs on this list, Sean, to me, that's a very underrated guy. Brad White of Kentucky does a really nice job with not great talent. And and so those are guys to me that are not on this list that flat out should be on this list. Certainly, and if you want to go with Jesse Minter, okay, whatever. I wouldn't. I need to see him do it for another year, but whatever. Okay. Fine, put them lower in the list. But the last two guys in Matt House right now do not belong in this conversation right now, especially Pete Golding and 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 Coach Brown from I forget his first name. Is it Brian? Bryce? I forget what his first name is. Uh, but the coach Bowen is what it is, isn't it? At, at he was at Louisville. He has no business being on this list. 
and Pete Golding has no business being on this list. How you cannot have John Heacock in a top 10 defensive coordinator job in college football right now is just tells me you have no clue what you're doing. No clue what you're doing. Look, in a in the Big 12, the last three years, Iowa State with very, very little NFL time. I can't get the McDonald kid, very little NFL talent. 21.4 points per game in 20, 20.5 last year, 20.3 this past year with a terrible, terrible off. This year, they gave up 285.6 yards per game. Iowa State did. They had the number four defense in the country this past year. They were number nine the year before in total defense. In the Big 12, Iowa State has been a top 10 defense the last two years, and you don't have their defensive coordinator in there, but you're going to put Michigan guys in there who's got a ton of NFL players running all over the place? Come on, man. You're going to have El- Matt House in there? You're not going to have John Heacock in there? It's a terrible list. It's an absolutely terrible list, Sean. I did. I will give them respect, though. Having Phil Parker, number one, is a great call. It's a great call. Man, look, what they do at Iowa from a discipline technique standpoint is absolutely amazing. It's amazing. They yeah. had nothing last year offensively. Yep. Nothing had a right. chance to go to the Big Ten championship game. I'm talking about nothing offensively. Their quarterback situation was worse than Notre Dame's last year. Yep. And yet somehow, some way, that you know what I love about that? When you have a defensive coordinator, it's like, oh, this is the challenge. This is what we have to do this year. But we're not about to complain. We're going to have to win games yep. 10-9. That's right. And John Heacock did the same thing at Iowa State. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Absolutely. That's what we're going in to a league with better offenses. That's yeah. the one. Di- that's the only difference in those two coaches. And to me, yeah. the no- from a number standpoint, John is yeah. John Heacock plays in a league with better offenses, yeah. top to bottom. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, those two Iowa coaches flat out are on the list. Morgan mm-hmm. Scally at Utah. How's he not on this list? And look, if you wanted to put Matt House and Jesse Minter on there because you're you're projecting, all right, fine. But there's the last two to me are just terrible. Morgan Scally should be on the list just from the Pac-12 championship yeah. game. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that to me, man, those are those are just absolute no business, those two guys being on that list. And and if you want to keep Jesse Minter in there and you want to have Matt House in there, fine. Put him at nine and ten. All right. Project him to nine and ten. But I want guys on this list, especially in the top five, that have done it year after year after year after year. Because let's be honest about like Jim Knowles. I think Jim Knowles is a real good DC, but in the last four years, he's had one good defense. Ohio State was better on defense this year, but they still weren't great, right? And so I don't know how you can have Jim Knowles over Manny Diaz right now. Right now, uh, Joe Rossi should be up. I mean, Joe Rossi had a top five defense last year with very little NFL talent. Tony Gibson did a great job at NC State. So I was glad to see those guys on the list. Those guys deserve to be on the list. But some of those guys, especially Pete Golding, and I'm I'm keep forgetting this. I'm gonna look the guys his his name. He's got two B's on his name. Give me a second. Uh Cincinnati 223 football team. I'm trying to remember the name of their defensive coordinator. Just give me a second here, guys and gals. It's Brian Brown. Like to me, Doug Belk, maybe, but this past year, the Houston defense was terrible. This past year. Like they were really bad this past year. So no, they they wouldn't be on. They wouldn't be on my list right now. They took a big step back this past year at Houston. So, 
No, you could say part of that's on the the head coach and all that. But when you've get when you just gave up thirty two points a game, you're not on my top ten list. I'm sorry, you're you're not. And that's what that's what Houston gave up this year thirty two point two points per game. Mm-hmm. A year ago, Doug Belk would have probably been on my list, but not after what they did this past year. Because here's the deal: and Doug Belk was he's been their OC for DC for three years, right? If I mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, this past year was his third year. Uh, let me just look that up and just to make sure. Yes, 21. Yeah, he was assistant DC in 20 and then 21. In two of the last three years, they've given up over 30 points a game. Like, no, he's not. He's not um, He's not on that list for me. So, and just like I would have Al, I mean, to me, how's, has, how's Matt House any different than, than Al Golden from a number standpoint? You know, there there really isn't that much of a difference. Notre Dame ranked 21st this year in total defense. LSU ranked 41st in total defense. Um, you know, Notre Dame ranked 34th in yards allowed per play, and LSU ranked 51st in total yards per play. So, you know, that's the thing is like, okay, if you're going to put him in there because you're projecting forward, then then why aren't we talking about Al Golden, right? I mean, so I just – Maybe he'll be there in 2020, was it 2023, right? If we're having this conversation for the 2024 season. But, uh, you know, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it with him either, at least as of right now. All right, last couple, Sean, and we got to get out of here. Here's a here's a good one from Domer TX22. Compare Jaden Davis's ceiling to cars. Of course, the best player from my hometown chooses Michigan. Gross. I wouldn't be too worried about it. I don't get the love for Jaden Davis. I don't. He's got some tools. He's very raw. I don't see the arm strength. CJ's got a better arm. CJ's very close athletically. CJ's got a better quarterback body. Yeah. Uh, CJ's got better accuracy. They both make plays off platform and off script. Uh, I just, it's not close. Jaden Davis is not a top 100 player for me, and CJ Carr's a top 20 player for me. So it's it's not close. Uh, he's very very overrated. I, we have an Antoine, the Michigan fan, in our chat. Sean is will say that he'll tell you that they're, they're overrated. He's overrated. Like he's just not that good of a player. No. I actually think he's a little better than Antoine thinks he he he, he is. But uh, you know, well, I think we know the next prize of Michigan is in the twenty five class. Yeah, <laughs> I think everybody yep. knows at that position. Yep. Yeah, they need to. They, Michigan needs to get Bryce Underwood because you cannot go three years in a row where arguably the best quarterback in the country was from your state and you don't get any of them. You don't get them. They missed on Dante. They missed on CJ. And yeah. one of those kids, your his grandfather won a national championship as your head coach. Yeah, they've got to get one of those kids. They got to get Bryce. Just from just looking at take Notre Dame. Just looking at it from a Michigan standpoint, they've got to get Bryce. Yeah, they've got to get Bryce. And and could you imagine if they lose him to Michigan State? Could you imagine that if they lose him to Michigan State? Oh, goodness gracious. All right, Sean, here's the last question here. Uh, This is a fun one. We'll end on a fun one here uh, real quick here. We're from Josh Buffo, the motivational business. Besides Jalen Smith, because he was in a world all his own, who who, in your opinion, was the most athletic linebacker in your indie viewing history? Oh, I mean, for me, it's it's Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. I mean, we could talk about Courtney Watson – we could talk about Michael Stonebreaker, you know, Demetrius DeBose, but Jeremiah Athletic was an incredible athlete. 
I mean, he was an absolutely incredible athlete. Yeah. So he'd he'd be he'd be my next one behind besides Jalen. Now we could potentially be talking about Nolan Ziegler or Jalen Sneed in a couple of years, or Jaden Osbury yeah. in a couple of years, or Drake Bowen yeah. in a couple of years. But for right now, uh, it's Jeremiah. Yeah. It, it absolutely. I would agree with that. I would Drew Tranquil's in the conversation. Yeah. Drew Tranquil's actually faster than Jeremiah Usukoromoa. Yeah. Jeremiah is just more explosive in some of the other athletic movements. Jer- Drew Tranquil is one of the most underrated athletes as a linebacker that Notre Dame's ever had. Like he was way more athletic. There, I remember arguing with people; they would try to tell me Tavon Coney was more athletic than Drew Tranquil. I'm like, I no. There's only no. one reason you could make that argument, and it's no. a very, very misguided reason to make an argument. But he was always more athletic than Tavon. Yeah. Tavon was was not a very good athlete. He just was a really instinctive football instinctive player. football player, and he was yeah. physical. Yeah. But Drew was a much better athlete. Yeah. Very. He's. If we're talking top five of the last twenty years, Drew Tranquil's in that conversation. Absolutely, he's in my. He's not in the conversation. He's in my top five. And that was after after injuries, right? He was still right, extremely athletic. Two ACL injuries. He still ran yeah. a four five seven. Had a thirty something inch vertical. Great testing numbers, and we see what he's doing in the NFL. Yeah, so, shout out to him. He just won yeah. himself a Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I, I got you. I was like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, I got you. I got you. A preemptive, preemptive you, Super Bowl. Yeah. Did you see? Because you mentioned Justin Ross. Did you see? They did like a nice expose on him this week. Oh really? He's I with didn't the see Chiefs. That. I have to check it out. Yeah. He's with the Chiefs and he's back. And they said, man, he took the last. The Chiefs kind of let him take the last year and a half to kind of good. I, his body I right. really hope that kid comes. And I've said yeah. this before. He is the greatest argument you can make for why NIL is important for players. Yeah, yeah. Because he came, he did everything he needed to do. He was great for Clemson for a couple years, helped him win a championship, and then he had a devastating injury. He'll never, he'll probably never make the money in the NFL he could have. Mm -hmm. If NIL was around when he was in college, he'd still be okay. Yeah. He'd still be okay. He still would have made some money. Yeah. And he'd be, he'd be in an okay shape. That, that, that right there is, is one of the biggest arguments I have for why it should be okay to be there. Somebody said, how's Namanti Teo not on the list? Because the question was about the athleticism. best athletic line. The big reason Manti didn't last as long in the NFL is because he's not a great athlete. Right. Right. So that's, that's, that's why Manti's not on the list. Yeah. So he doesn't belong. I mean, if we're going to talk athlete, Osmar Bilal was a better athlete than Manti was. Man. Asmar it took him a while to get it, put it together, but yeah. But it was never about athleticism. He just no. didn't have a, a real good feel for the game. It was never about athleticism. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, man, again, if we're talking who are the best linebackers, Sean and I have had this debate. Who was the better college linebacker, Manti or Jalen? I think it was Manti. Right. Jalen was more talented, and it's not Jalen's fault that he played for Brian Van Gorder instead of Bob. He only played for Diaco for one year. I've said this also. If, if, Jalen Smith would have played for Mike Elko. He'd have been one of the greatest linebackers to ever play the game in college football, ever, right. ever. And clearly the best at Notre Dame of my lifetime. I agree. But he didn't. He didn't play under him, and he didn't yeah. have the production, and he didn't have the career Manti had. Yeah. But most talented. This question was about athletic, and that's where it's not a conversation. Yeah. I mean, Manti's not in my top five, just pure athleticism. Not that he was a bad athlete, but he's not the athlete Jalen was. He's not the athlete Jeremiah Wusukoromoa was. He's not the athlete that Drew Tranquil was. He's not the athlete Asmar Bilal was. He wasn't even the athlete Drew Drew White was. Drew White had better testing numbers than Manti did. If we're just talking athleticism, so that's why. You know, just talking athleticism. Yep. 
player wise, Manti's the best linebacker Notre Dame's had in my lifetime. Yeah. Honestly, um, I still would have loved to have seen Jalen with a real defensive coordinator for two years, his last two years. That'd have been fun to watch. Really fun to watch. So, Sean, that's going to do it for today's show, man. I want to thank everybody for being with us. Sean, thank you for stepping in last minute, man, and helping us out here real quick and stepping up for Ryan, who had to, you know, go deal with his family today. Uh, I ask that y'all keep him and his family in your prayers. Uh, Definitely do that for us, please. Uh, Also, right now, the guys at IB Nation Sports Talk are getting ready to start their show right now. So switch over to the uh, Friday, free, the the Friday hot rapid fire that the the Ivy Nation Sports Talk guys are going, uh, they are going to get that started here in about a minute. So hop over there. But before you leave, everybody, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and sign up for the message boards at boards.archbreak.com. Sean, I will see you, my friend, tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, we practice together. Yep. Uh, drive safe tomorrow, my man. Yes, sir. Have a great night, everybody, and we'll join you again. Join us again soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Thank you.